ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the NK News Podcast. I'm your host, Jacko Zwetslut, and our episode today was recorded here in Seoul at the NK News Studio on Thursday, the 5th of December, 2019. And this is the third in our very special, third part in our very special series of interviews with a traveler who has had some amazing experiences uh, in North Korea, including a detention, uh, a hardcore interrogation, six weeks of house arrest, followed by uh, being sent across the border, across the bridge into uh, back into China. Uh, spent a week there, and we're going to talk about what happened after that. So welcome back to uh, part three, mystery guest. Yes, thank you very much. Right, so you've, you've had your week in, uh, in Chinese, Chinese detention, and then you have to go back to your home country, to the United States. And, and how was that? Yeah, I mean, now I have a, a lot of answering to do from my own government because, um, you know, this whole situation was done very differently. Yeah, in the sense that you didn't go to Pyongyang, you weren't, sent, you weren't put on a show trial, they didn't put you in front of the, the TV cameras, um, they didn't get CNN to come and interview you like they did with Matthew Miller, and you didn't get six to 15 years of hard labor. Yeah, it was, it was a lot different. And so um, Chairman Kim decided to uh, release me in kind of this peaceful and quiet way. And so now, uh, you know, that's a little bit suspicious, I think, to the U.S. So it was interesting because when I went to North Korea, they thought that I was some kind of American spy or yeah. agent. And then when I went to China, they wouldn't receive me because they thought that I was some kind of, uh, you know, uh, American or even North Korean spy or agent. And now I'm going back to America. And now they're having questions about, you know, whether I'm, uh, you know, working with North Korea or in uh, government. So it was almost kind of like a movie at yeah. that point. But um, so I went through the the same kind of series of interrogation with uh, with my own government because obviously they have a lot of questions. This is handled so much differently. Did they detain you? They didn't. Um, they just uh, the intelligence community and the government there. They just had a lot of questions for me. And so and was they, this done in Washington? No, at first it was just done when I when I entered back into America, which is actually in L.A. and Oh, at the airport. Yeah, I still remember. It was amazing because I, I asked, uh, you know, all three governments to please, you know, keep it quiet as far as the media because mostly I wanted to be able to speak for myself and didn't want there to be mass media, you know, presenting mm -hmm. all of these crazy stories. I didn't want people think I'm some kind of looney tune, even though I know it's kind of crazy doing what I did. And I didn't want them thinking all these different perspectives. I wanted to be able to share them for myself if, if I was going to share. And so when I came out of the airport, I still remember I walked out thinking there's going to be cameras everywhere or something, someone waiting, and no one really knew I was coming. And so when I walked out, there was no one there. I actually mm -hmm. had to call my mom to have someone come pick me up through a, a friend in L.A. Wow. Okay. And so um, how long did it, not on that occasion, but I'm talking about uh, on subsequent occasions, how many different meetings and, and did you have to have with people to answer all their questions? It's just a couple, a, a few meetings that I've had initially when I was there. Obviously, the U.S. government knew I was on my way there because of uh, them coordinating with the, the consulate there in, in Xinjiang ah. uh, and the Chinese uh, police kind of escorting me to the plane and all of that. And so when I came, they had, uh, they had people waiting on me there. And then I had a few more meetings in the future with uh, you know, different people, part of the State Department and mm -hmm. uh, White House official. And so they had a, they just had a lot of questions because it was very, very uh, different the way sure. everything happened. Do you think they learned anything from your experience? Um, I'm sure I'm sure that they did. I when I talked to him, I told them that my experience was very unique because I, I lived in the country. I was with the people. Um, and so I had a experience of, of being in the culture submerged in it. And so uh, I think that they they learned a lot. Uh, and and probably dealing with things at least as slightly different through that whole experience. Now, I know that uh, governments and especially the American government is always interested in 
uh, intel, you know, good information on high-level people? Did they want to ask you about uh, the official who came to visit you from Pyongyang and gave you the apology? Um, they didn't have a whole lot of details of that because I, I kind of led in the conversation that, you know, I'm willing to talk with them and be cooperative. Um, but I, I'm just a normal civilian, so I didn't want to operate in a way of giving information like a spy would. I don't remember names very well and stuff like that. And so um, I, I didn't share a lot of those intimate details a lot of times because I don't know that guy's name. Yeah. Um, and so I shared with Jim just the basics um, and, and just shared that I was really treated well and, and respectful um, and everything turned out really well. Uh, so you've answered some questions to uh, people from the State Department uh, and, and others from the United States government. Uh, you're back in the States. You're still, you know, relatively young, in your 20s, wondering, what do I do now? And then you find a wife. Right, exactly. Yep. Uh, two years two years after I, I was released. Uh, you could have got married in Manila or in some you know, nice resort in the Philippines or in, you know, somewhere back in uh, the United States. But you decide, no, no, I want to have my wedding in... North, North Korea. Korea. Right, exactly. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean... Um, That's not the most... Na- I mean, having, you know, given your experience, when was when was the wedding supposed to be? The, the wedding was supposed to be June 21st of 2017. Okay, so this is two years, almost, almost two years, two years. Yeah, yeah. after you went in there. Okay, yeah. so it's because uh, you were... Uh, you went in on August the 12th. You were released sometime mid to late October 2015. Yes. And now here we are in uh, June of, uh, of 2017. And you said, let's go have a, a wedding in North Korea... Uh, any place specific? Um, well, I'm, I'm a Florida boy, so I wanted to have a beach wedding. And so um, we we worked with a, a tour company uh, to, pe- to be able to try to arrange this wedding. And so we we're actually going to have our wedding and our honeymoon there for, I think it was 10 days or maybe, you know, 11 or 12 days. So we were going to be there, but it just, it was a way that I wanted to be able to honor the people. I don't know if there's ever an American who was married in North Korea, but I thought it'd be a really cool way that I could see my friends there and be able to experience uh, just kind of the the culture. I wanted to also share my my love for the country and the people uh, with my wife. Obviously, she knew that I, I have a huge heart for the country, mm-hmm. and so um, yeah, it just seemed like the perfect thing to do. Uh, and I guess people in my generation are doing you know a lot of things differently. So a lot of people you know my age have weddings kind of uh, in other places instead of you know near home. Yeah. So you're working together with a uh, with a, a tra- another travel company uh, to. Um to set this wedding up uh, in Wonsan to take place in June 2017. Yes. People, your, your friends, uh, loved ones were ready to go and fly to North Korea and take part in this. It was a 10-day... Uh, affair. It was going to be like a, a wedding plus a holiday. So 10 days in all. Yeah, yeah. We were going to get married in the beginning and then we were going to do a tour around the country. And it just would have been perfect introduction for my wife. Uh, we we were talking uh, a year and a half uh, before we actually got married. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it wasn't uh, long after my detainment that we actually got connected. Oh, yeah. And, and then, of course, the uh, the wedding didn't ultimately go through. Why was that? What happened? You know, I, I still have questions about that. Uh, you know, the the founder of that tour company, if, if you're listening or hear about it, I want to apologize to you. I, I didn't talk about this detainment with uh, with them because, um, you know, I didn't want them to be influenced or, or afraid or something. And so um, they said I was welcome back in. And so I thought it'd be a, a great thing. And so everything was organized. The money was um, given. The plan was uh, or the, the wedding and, and the 
whole tour was completely planned out. And so, yeah, everything was finished, but I don't know exactly why it didn't go through. Mm. Um, a couple guesses would be that this is right around the time when the the first week of June is right around the time of when uh, America and North Korea, there's a lot of tension that started to rise. Um, but it's also the, uh, the same week, uh, I believe, that um, auto um, kind of got released um, into uh, into America. And so that was a horrible and tragic situation. Obviously, I'm, a, yeah, I'm an Amer- Just uh, to provide context for our listeners, so Otto Wombe was indeed released on the 12th of June 2017, uh, and he died uh, back in the United States in, in Ohio exactly a week later on the 19th of June 2017. So that was... Uh, yeah. around that time. Yeah, so uh, I'm assuming that it had something to do with that. Obviously, before he got released on the 12th, there was a lot of probably talking uh, before that, which would have been at the very start of June, which I believe they canceled the wedding. Um, when you say that, you mean the North Korean yes, side? Yes, yeah, the North Korean uh, side. And so uh, they they didn't approve me to, to be able to come in. And, um, and so that was the first week of June, probably when they started talking about uh, Otto's condition and stuff with the U.S. government and getting him back in the U.S. So mm. that, that's what I would assume happened. So my wife is amazing. She ended up having to plan a, a two-week wedding in the Philippines, which is obviously gorgeous. And people just diverted their flights uh, from from Beijing into the Philippines instead of North Korea. And it was still absolutely gorgeous. But uh, we were both kind of sad because she had a, a Korean dress that she mm. was going to wear. Um, it, it was it was supposed to be really special in North Korea, and I was excited about it. She was excited, uh, but then things changed. But we were still married, right? So it was yeah. exciting. Okay, so you uh, th- so you haven't been. Uh- uh, to North Korea since your release in uh, in October of 2015. You still have a heart for the place. How do you feel about it now? How do you feel about North Korea and the people? Well, over over the time that me and my wife have been married, which is a little over two years now, things have really improved a lot from that, that really uh, high level of tension. Um, and so I think that overall, uh, President Trump has done a great job Um, You know, I I really am grateful for him reaching out to Kim Jong-un. I think that, you know, he's a a young man leading uh, a country and it's it's not easy. And he was just kind of put in this position. And so uh, even though it's kind of uh, unconventional the way he's doing things, I think that it was appropriate to try to identify with him and try to build a relationship with him and um, ultimately just show a little love to him. And, um, you know, I know a lot of people would disagree with that with uh, from a lot of different angles, but you know, we're, we're people, we're relational. And so ultimately you have to build relationships, but now, Mm. you know, as we're talking, things are kind of in a a different place and they've kind of started to swing a little bit in the opposite direction. But I still have, uh, you know, uh, I remember my time there. I think it's very special when people can reconcile things, especially when it's been so long, uh, that things, um, you know, have, have kind of been sour. And so I, I don't feel the responsibility, obviously, to take on the burden of, of reconciling things with the whole country. Even just the one person or two people that I interacted with, there's something special about people un- working towards understanding um, and showing care and, and love for one another. Are you familiar with the term white knight syndrome? Um, I'm not, no. It, it's a criticism that's often made that uh, white people feel that they or white savior syndrome, I should say, that, that white folks feel that they can come into a situation and, and just... Uh, uh, by dint of uh, of their their Caucasian nature, just you know, save everything and and uh, bring about reconciliation and peace and harmony yeah. at the snap of their fingers. You don't see yourself as some sort of a uh, well. So I'm sure somebody will level that criticism and say, surely you're you're you know, trying to walk in there and 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 bring about reconciliation between Korea and America. Something that's gone on for seventy years. Just you, one white guy. What can you do? How do you sort of feel about that kind of criticism? Yeah, I mean, sometimes I I, I feel like that. Honestly, I'm. Just 
just affordable. I'm not some scholar, academic, or um, you know, someone that works in the government with a high level of e- education with inter, you know, po- political relations and, and all of that. But I do have intimate experiences uh, uh, being there, and so I don't know. I guess I, I kind of could look at myself as a little bit of a homemade diplomat, but I I don't think that I have a whole lot to to offer the country as a whole. Um, now, with one person that you spend time with, build a relationship, I think I have a lot to offer because you're spending time with each other. Um, and so I, I definitely don't consider myself someone who thinks that, you know, I have anything great to, to offer that country other than just my time and um, and my heart for the country, which ultimately I think is is a, a, the greatest thing that I can offer them. You know, things have had a lot of tension over the past 70 years. And um, at some point you can either choose to start uh, working towards reconciliation and understanding each other and show some love to one another, which I believe that love is, is a choice. It's not based on someone's behavior, whether they're good or bad. It's just a choice uh, to love and care about them because they're human. And I think building up, you know, I, I, I learned a little bit about North Korea. Then I went there. I experienced this intimacy with them. I realized that, you know, I was the one privileged to be there. So I felt kind of a duty and responsibility to continue to learn about it uh, and grew uh, even more love and care for the people and uh, and wanted to continue that. And so I'm just kind of playing my little part in contributing uh, to this uh, very complex issue on the Korean Peninsula. And my role is really small. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you, although, as I said, you haven't been to North Korea since uh, 2015, this, uh, this story, these events that happened to you are still affecting your life in a very practical way. And that is that you uh, are having uh, you and your wife are having a difficult time uh, going back to the United States? Yeah, actually, um, I uh, in the Philippines and, and have been for two and a half years. And actually, this this very story um, is is the only thing holding me back from being able to take my my wife and actually my my newborn child is three months old to go back to the United States. And so. You know, I don't know uh, if I just need to go through some kind of security clearance that they're telling me or if uh, the U.S. government may be upset with me uh, through this whole situation and holding my wife's spousal visa hostage or whatever. But actually, I haven't been able to return back to the United States uh, because of this. And so, um, yeah, there, there, there's not much benefit uh, for me to, to share this story um, other than kind of uh, what we're leading into about why I originally contacted a- NK News. Yeah, well, let's get into that. Why did you decide to contact us and why at this time? I, I want to try to tread as light as I can because it's it's uh, it's very humbling to be able to come on the show and, and talk about something like this. And, um, you know, I, I have a great love and respect uh, for Chairman Kim and the people there and country. So I'm going to do my best to try to articulate my thoughts. But, um, you know, there was a very specific reason why I contacted NK News. I, uh, obviously, talking about this story could potentially just cause a lot of problems for me. And um, right now, having a new baby, I, I, I wouldn't have said it's the most convenient time. Mm. But I felt, and there were certain details that we've had to leave out of the story because of people you want to protect, right? Right. Yeah. There's a there's a lot of people uh, on many different sides of the story that you want to protect their identity, just like mine. So maybe in the future, I'm sure we can talk about a lot more of that, which I hope to. But right now, uh, those things should probably remain concealed. Mm, okay, but so even though yeah, you can't tell all the details of your story, there's still a reason why you want to talk now, and it's not just to tell the story. There's something deeper behind that, isn't there? You know, it, it, this this is kind of uh, it's 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 hard to formulate the thoughts, but I'm going to do the best I can. I'm I'm a heart guy. I'm not 
an intellectual. I've seen the people that you have on your show. And it was kind of intimidating that uh, that you guys invited me here to do this because there are a lot of people that I've, I've learned a lot from. I don't agree with uh, many of them, mm-hmm. but uh, for the most part, you know, they, they share a lot of accurate information. And so um, originally I can just say that about three months ago um, when, you know, we were kind of in transition, I didn't know whether I was going to be coming back to the United States or what in this very uncertain period. Um, I guess the best way I could put it is, is I had a very strong uh, premonition mm-hmm. and and, um, you know, it was uh, overwhelming to kind of work through, but I felt very compelled um, to be able to share this specific information. And I'm going to share it in a moment, but uh, I ended up reaching out to, to Chad and, and you guys. Um, and so um, after talking with it, it seemed like just a, 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 the right fit. And so I would have never shared all that I've shared with you for the past hour and a half or so uh, if it wasn't for this reason. Basically, I can just get into it. But first, I just want to kind of put it out there that I'm not a part of any kind of military or government um, or something like that. This is not considered to be a threat. Um, I'm a friend of DPRK and the people there and um, and the leaders and and, and have a love for, for uh, Chairman Kim. But this premonition actually involved um, something very bad happening to um, Chairman Kim mm. if he wasn't going to make a certain decision. Again, this is actually, it has nothing to do with um, another country or government, has nothing to do with uh, international politics. It's actually something internal. And so I know this part may be a little bit strange for some of your listeners to hear, um, but uh, again, it's very real to me. I'm, I'm, you know, 100% certain that this is real for me. For you, it would just be a premonition. It would be an idea. And so I I didn't really know where to go with this. And so that was originally when I, I contacted NK News and then it was like, well, you kind of got to share a little bit of your story mm-hmm. to be able to have context and um, credibility to this. And so if you love someone and care about someone, then you're going to you're going to say something, even if it if it's risky and scary or whatever. And so. Uh, Kim Jong-un, he, um, uh, Chairman Kim is is aware of my whole situation. I think he knows my heart after writing two letters to him. And if I could have written a third letter and got this across to him directly, I, I would have. Um, but I don't, uh, I, I didn't feel led that way. And like, uh, this is kind of the only avenue that I had. And so you guys are kind of the one who helped me figure out what kind of a call to action would be, even mm-hmm. though I don't even know if someone would care or even listen to this podcast that would be inside North Korea that could get him a message. But, um, that's what kind of brings me here. Uh, I don't feel uh, like really even worthy to be able to meet with him and tell him this, but uh, to clear my conscience, uh, I had to at least find a way to get it out there. And this is the way that it ended up happening. I think you guys mm-hmm. are the perfect ones to be able to to share this. Okay, so you're not specifically calling uh, for Kim Jong-un to invite you to a meeting in Pyongyang. It's uh, It's more about just getting the word out there. Well, I mean, um, I don't know any other way that he would find out this information that if if he if he didn't make this certain decision that his life would be in danger. Um, again, that's that's so humbling and hard for me to say. I realize he's a world leader and I respect him and love him and care about him very much, despite all the ways that, you know, the media or whoever would try to vilify me or whatever. Um, but uh, I didn't know any other ways. And so, yeah, I, I don't know how it's possible. But yeah, I would I would love to be able to tell him directly some way. But I don't I don't really know exactly how that's possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it like? Would it take a U.S. special envoy? Like I can't go there because, as you know, there's a band on, uh, you know, the Americans going there. So I don't really know what it would take. But I'm just hoping by 
uh, doing uh, what I felt like I was supposed to do, that somehow it may work itself out. Now, um, you know, a, a premonition is a, is a difficult thing to talk about because it's something very personal to the person who receives it. It's hard exactly. to, well, it's impossible to prove that to anybody else. And it's exactly. really hard to put that message on anybody else. And of course, uh, you know, international politics and diplomacy don't usually deal with uh, premonitions of, of future events. And For sure. I don't even know, I, I, I have a feeling um, that in North Korea, they don't look, um, don't believe in premonitions. So sure. how, you know, what... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. I get it. And, you know, I, I don't really even expect anyone to take me seriously. It's not up to me uh, for them to take me seriously. Maybe if Kim Jong-un, uh, Chairman Kim, would would, uh, would find out about this, maybe it would more, make more sense to him directly right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't know why right now, why this way, I don't know. But I'm doing the best I can as a, you know, fallible human to try to express this, uh, like I said, with absolute certainty uh, about a decision that he he needs to make Mm. and um and i'm saying it out of love like as a friend to him and uh, again i don't feel worthy to be able to 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 tell him directly but yeah i guess if i was given that opportunity i would love to be able to share that obviously the u.s government um you know like you said wouldn't go on premonitions but um, who knows? Uh, who knows what can happen? I'm doing uh, my part to this. Yeah. This has been a great time with you guys talking. And have you thought about visiting the uh, United Nations, uh, the DPRK permanent mission to the United Nations in New York? They have an office there with a couple of diplomats. Yeah, I have. I have actually um, wanted to go there because I kind of owe an apology of one of the officials there when I was getting w- uh, married for my wedding. I I didn't talk to one of the officials very nicely. I was uh-huh. under some stress. So one of the reasons I wanted to go back. They would say, hey, sorry, uh, I was a little bit, you know, uh, not very nice to you and mm-hmm. stuff. But I, I haven't been able to make it back to the U.S. because obviously my my wife and baby are in the Philippines. So I'm right. staying there. Um, but yeah, I, you don't want to travel without them, obviously. But yeah. even going to, going there, the message is, is private. It's for it's for Chairman Kim. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not the kind of message that it should be relayed. Some people might say that you're a bit naive. What, how would you respond to that? I would say that 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 could be true. Um, You know, maybe I am a little bit naive, uh, but I think that, you know, there can be great things sometimes that happen through uh, being a little bit naive sometime. And I think that building friendship really is where uh, courage uh, starts um, or um, when you have the courage to, to build that friendship. So, yeah, I'm trying to have the courage. This was not an easy thing for me to do. Um, we're, we're volunteering at an orphanage in the Philippines and I'm spending time with my family and uh, we're, we're enjoying our time there. Um, but I had to do what was on my conscience mm-hmm. to do. And, um, you know, my conscience will be clear from this point on. And you look forward to a time in the future when it might be possible to, uh, to go back and, and, and work in North Korea with your wife and child or possible future children, right? Yeah, that's that's a conversation for another podcast. But I really believe that uh, North Korea will uh, even surpass South Korea in economic development uh, in my generation. I think there's a lot of great things to come for uh, DPRK. Uh, now, I want to thank you uh, for all uh, your time today that you've you've given us and uh, coming all the way here to Seoul uh, for these interviews. I think the one thing that can really come through um, uh, through these interviews for our listeners, whether or not they uh, agree with uh, your ideas and methods or not, is, is definitely that you have a uh, a strong heart for the uh, the people of North Korea and uh, and you really want 
on, on a small one-to-one person-to-person level to have these relationships with people. Yes, that's absolutely true. Any final thoughts that you'd like to leave us with today? No, I think we I think we covered uh, covered a, a lot of it. It's been a privilege to be able to spend time with all of you, and I think uh, you do a wonderful job uh, getting information and content out there uh, that's accurate. And uh, I really appreciate all that you do. Thank you, thank you very much, and thanks to our listeners for listening. Don't forget to check out our uh, uh, Christmas shop at nkshop.org. Ten dollars off if you use the code podcast at a checkout, and. Listen Listen again next week. Costs involved in the production of this podcast were partially funded by the Uni Korea Fund, for which we are extremely grateful.